Well, good morning. We're, uh, we're going through the Gospel of Luke today, and uh, if you don't have your Bible, there's uh, the scriptures printed there in the bulletin. We're looking at chapter 22. We're going to be reading uh, verses 54 to 62 today. Give ear. This is God's Word. The chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders seized Jesus. They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. He denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is God's word. In our passage, we see that Jesus is nearing the end of his life. And things are starting to unravel. It's like the pace is escalating and things are getting out of hand. A couple weeks ago, we saw Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Remember, and we talked about the tragedy of being betrayed by someone that's close to you. This passage gives us a little bit of a different slant. Um, It causes us to ask the question, what do you do when you're the one who does the betraying? So many people, uh, myself included, long for the approval of others, right? So many people, I mean, it's this great feeling, right, when we feel accepted and we feel validated uh, by other people, either be friends or if, if, if it's a boss or a coworker or colleagues, when someone validates us, it gives us this sense of self-worth, right? We feel like we're worth something. And it's, it's so powerful, in fact, that some people, their entire happiness, whether they are doing well or doing poorly, is strictly based on what other people think of them and whether or not they have the approval of others. Now, personally, I struggle with this, okay? This is one of these things that, you know, that hits me right between the eyes. If I begin to think I'm on the outs with someone or some group, I start getting really nervous, you know, and I start thinking in sort of hyper speed, and all of a sudden I'm starting to now overanalyze every word, and not just the words, but how they're said and the eye movements that go along, because I'm not really sure if this person likes me, you know, and, and, well, gosh, you know, now that I think about it, maybe they never have ever really liked me, you know, and maybe all that stuff that we've done in the past, maybe they're just being nice, but deep down they really wish I'd go away. I mean, this is part of my own thought process, um, and in some ways, I mean, there's a lot of fiction involved with that, right? We read things in, and a lot of times, you know, there's lots of misunderstandings. Then you have a conversation, and you think, oh, okay, oh, I thought you meant this. You didn't mean that? Oh, great, okay, and then you're all back together, right? Because it was just a misunderstanding. But what do you do when you really do fail someone else? What do you do when their disapproval isn't based on fiction, but it's based on something that you actually did or failed to do? What do you do that? 
When was the last time that you failed someone else or, or failed God? Last week, Jesus taught us how to say no to God in our prayers. This week, uh, what we're looking at is a story about saying no about God to others. Okay, and Peter, in his denial of God, invites us to see how we handle this sense of failure in our lives. And as we see Peter's failure, we're going to see three things today. These are our points. You can write them down in the bulletin. First, we're going to see when good people fail. Second, we're going to see when you can't come back. And then third, we're going to see when others can't come back. Okay, so first, when good people fail. When you look at Peter here in this passage, you've got to realize there's a whole story that goes behind this that makes what he does actually worse. Just three scenes ago, Peter was standing and, and with amazing bravado, declares to Jesus and everybody who's willing to listen, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But here, in this passage, three scenes later, 30 verses, he fails. He fails. The pressure mounts for Peter. In verse 54, Jesus is arrested. He's brought to the high priest's house. And Peter demonstrates some courage and some bravery in the fact that he's at least following, right? He's in there. He's, 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 he's at a distance, but he's there. He wants to stay close. Maybe he's looking for a chance to do something. Um, he even got into the house of the high priest where this quasi-trial of Jesus is going to take place. Um, and just for your own frame of reference, the way houses worked in that culture was typically there was a square of rooms, and there was always a big courtyard in the center of the house. So it was protected from outside, but there was a place that was outdoors where you could gather. And so that's where Jesus was. Peter didn't just enter into the house grounds, but he was there in the courtyard with the crowds who were gathered there. And it was in the middle of the night, remember. They caught, you know, they, they, they caught Jesus in the middle of the night. And so it would have been cold, so they built a fire to ward off the cold. And, P- and Peter comes in, sits down near the fire. And at this point, my guess is that Peter you know, God love him, was a mixture, you know, of, of, of both courage and fear. And what we see, though, is that as the pressure begins to heat up, Peter's heart melts like wax. Verse 56, the servant girl staring at him and then sort of clicked. Oh, oh, I know what it is. This, yeah, he's one of them. I thought so, but I, I wanted to make sure she's watching him. And out comes the accusation, this man was with him. But then he denied knowing Jesus in verse 57. Woman, I, I don't know him. It's interesting, as public pressure heats up, Peter starts to wilt. He wants to stick close to Jesus, but he still wants to sort of remain incognito. Right? He doesn't want anybody to know that he's with Jesus. And then verse 58, verse 59, you get the second and third accusations. You are one of them. And then certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And who knows, maybe his accent gave him away. He's from the north. But Peter denied him a second and a third time, saying, man, I don't know, or man, I am not one of them, in verse 58. And then in verse 60, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's interesting, if you look at these three denials, there's an escalation in them. Okay, and it's an escalation that's, I think, helpful for us, because it shows us sort of what happens, uh, I think, even to us. First, Jesus, or first Peter denies his relationship with Jesus, right? I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in with him. The second thing he does is he denies the community. He denies being part of the community. Right? I'm not one of them. Okay? 
And then third, he denies any part or any knowledge of being a part of Jesus' ministry. Right? I don't know what you're talking about. And it's interesting because this is Peter. This is Peter. He'd been transformed by Jesus. Jesus gave him a whole new identity, this radically different outlook on life, a new direction. He had done miracles. He had cast out demons and the forces of darkness. He had healed people. He, was give, he, had, he had taught people from his own heart to have real hope and joy. He had proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he was a part of it. But again, here, under the mounting pressure, he's throwing his whole history with Jesus away. And I think this is exactly what happens to us when we go down that pathway of denying Jesus. You know, first we deny that we know him, and then we deny any participation in the community of his followers. And pretty soon we are no longer we no longer look like we did when we were connected to him. When we deny our new identity as someone who follows Jesus, that has a big impact on who we become, how we act, how we talk, things that we say and do. And so we've got to ask, where are we with all this? You know, I know personally I failed Jesus. I think Christians tend to fail Jesus in two main ways. You know, first, we're like Peter, and we, we're just, we fail to be honest about our relationship with God. You know, have you been here before? Have you ever denied that you know Jesus? Have you ever denied maybe what he's done for you, how he's made you a different person? Normally today, we don't outright deny Jesus the way Peter does, because we're not, you know, those questions usually don't come at us like they do with Peter. Usually we're more often guilty of not speaking up when we should. Right? Well, then second, I think we can fail Jesus by being, you know, obnoxious or annoying about our faith. Okay? This is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. Someone who's always pushing their faith on others, um, I think that's also a denial of Jesus because you're, putting a bad name on Jesus. You are representing Jesus in a way that he would not, you know, that wouldn't be true to him. And, you know, again, I've, I've done both of these things. I have failed in both of these ways. Um, my failure tends to be on the obnoxious side of things, on the, uh, the know-it-all. Yeah, I've been that know-it-all Christian telling everybody else what God's will is for their life. Um, And so when we look at failure, here's the balance that God's looking for, right? Because usually we don't say something because we're not sure if we should. You know, it's not that we're not willing to, but we just don't want to push ourselves on people, right? We're trying to find this balance. Here's the balance that God wants from all of us. He wants us to want his approval more than anyone else's. And at the same time, he wants us to love people so much that we'll share our faith with them in a way that they'll understand and be blessed by it. Does that make sense? God wants us to want what he wants and want his approval more than anybody else. But then he wants us to love other people so much that we share our faith in a way where they can understand it and be blessed by it. Now, I think non-Christians also fail Jesus. You know, and, and a lot of times they fail him without even knowing it. Um, and uh, some of you here, I know, you're not believers. And, uh, and you're, some of you are exploring. You're in different places in your spiritual journey. Some of you live your lives as though Jesus didn't need to come at all. 
when you think about it, he didn't have to go through the suffering, this betrayal, the crucifixion and death. Even though he came to bring salvation and peace, joy and new life, some of you are living as though he could have stayed in heaven and not come at all. And then there's others who, frankly, just don't want to be identified with Jesus. Maybe you're even attracted to him, but you don't want to become a Christian because you're afraid of what people might think about you. I think whether we deny Jesus verbally or silently or by a lifestyle that says we just don't need him, I think we all have some Peter in us. Um, and I, I titled this point, When Good People Fail, so that we can have a clean, like I think a healthy sense of what it means to be a good person. Okay, that I think we all, this failure of Peter, there, there's roots of it, there's seeds of it, there's evidence of it in all of us, in all of us. Now, so what happens to Peter as he goes through this denial? Well, when he hits that third denial, three things hit him at once. The rooster crows in verse 60. It happens immediately. It's, it's, it's almost like he didn't even get the words out of his mouth before he could hear the rooster crowing. And that made Peter remember Jesus' prediction that he was going to, in fact, deny Jesus three times. And it's almost as though Peter goes to this surreal experience where he sees what he had become. Have you ever had that experience where you've done something and while you're doing it, you're not really thinking about what you're doing? And then all of a sudden something happens and you go, oh my goodness, what have I become? Am I really this person? Peter's bold statements, his bravado, his valorous defenses with the sword, right? Trying to protect, P, uh, to protect Jesus. And then here he is, cowering before people and unable to stand. Well, and if that wasn't bad enough, then the worst thing happens. Verse 61, Jesus turned and looked straight at him. Can you imagine this? Peter denies him three times, and in the midst of, it's almost, it's bad enough when we do things that, that make us ashamed, but I know for me, I would much rather try to deal with that on my own <laughs> rather than have to face the person that I have shamed or that I have betrayed or that I've let down or I've failed. I mean, who knows, as Peter is sort of scrambling, as he hears the rooster crowing and he sort of sees a picture of himself, Maybe, he's, maybe his thoughts go to, oh, well, hopefully, I'm sure Jesus didn't see it. He starts looking for Jesus, and he looks up, hoping that Jesus is going to be involved in conversation, you know, 30 feet away, 50 feet away, hoping that Jesus doesn't know about it, hoping that he can make things right somehow to, you know, brush under the table. And he looks in the group, and where? And when he sees Jesus, Jesus is looking right at him. Even from a distance, Jesus' approval, he realizes, means everything. He'd forgotten. He'd forgotten in the midst of the pressure. Well, then words begin to flood Peter's mind, because now Peter begins to say, well, what am I going to do now? What is Jesus going to say? And then he remembers, Jesus has already told me exactly what he's going to say. Luke has told us already. In chapter 9 of Luke, in verse 26, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him, I will be ashamed when I come in glory. 
Luke 12, verses 8 through 10. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. To him who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. These words echoed in Peter's ears, ending any last vestige of hope. Crushed, crushed then with no reason to stay, Peter left and wept bitterly. I mean, it was over. It was over. Because either Jesus is going to fail and it's over, or Jesus is going to succeed, but I have just put myself out of his family. There are some amazing stories, if you read, uh, of the history of the martyrs, people who have valiantly stood against persecution in the history of the church, people who, when threatened with death, when threatened with torture, have stood strong and brought glory and honor to God because they were able to say, God is more important to me than any pain, than any suffering that you could inflict on me. And they honor God and give glory to God. Well, Thomas Cramner wasn't one of those people. In the 1550s, when he was threatened with death, he was threatened to be burned at the stake unless he denied his faith. He did. He denied his faith. He denied the Jesus who had bought him to avoid persecution, to avoid death. And he was. He was spared the stake. He wasn't killed. But then he had to live with the horrible anguish and shame of that betrayal. We're going to do something a little bit different. I've asked Robbie if he'd be willing to sing a song. Um, the words of it are printed in your bulletin on this green sheet. It's called Heart Like Mine. We're going to have Robbie come up and, uh, and sing this song. I think this song may capture the heart of Peter as he was weeping bitterly. Oh Lord, with a heart like mine, lest you hold me fast, feel that I know shall decline. Leave my Lord at last Leave my Lord at last You alone have power I know Save a wretch like me Where no two miles shall I go if I should turn from thee, if I should turn from thee, 
No voice beneath can give me rest. No strength, no fears depart. No love for life can make me blessed. Oh, satisfy my whole. I satisfy my whole. Oh Lord, with a heart like. Thanks, Robbie. There is no good news in this text. And I don't know, maybe if that's how you're feeling right now, that there is no good news, because you, maybe this isn't just the words of Peter's harp, and maybe these are echoing some of the thoughts that you're having. Um, This leads us into our second point. What do you do when you can't come back? Point two is when you can't come back. Jesus saw Peter fail. He sees us when we fail. So is this the end? I mean, Peter thought so. If you deny Jesus, is there any hope? I mean, it's interesting because just like the the, the song says, the only one who can give you rest is the one that you've turned away from. Right? For you to come back on your own, it's like, well, where do you get off coming back? Right? You don't have any right to come back. But this song tells us if Jesus initiates, maybe there's hope. So if you turn in your, uh, in your, uh, in your bulletins uh, to page 6, This isn't the end of the story. John chapter 21 records what happens next with Peter. Let me read this. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Okay, the scene is that the disciples are out in the ocean, they're fi- or in the sea, they're fishing, and Jesus walks up on the beach. And John says, Peter, it's Jesus. And instead of rowing back, Peter jumps in because he just can't wait. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. When you can't come back, you need someone to come after you. 
And that's what Jesus does. And he comes back with one question. He doesn't say, Peter, can you explain yourself? He doesn't say, Peter, let's go back over what happened. He says, Peter, do you love me? Once, twice, three times. And the third time, Peter got it. Jesus was coming to restore him. He comes to restore him and he says, Peter, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? And so, have you failed Jesus? Was it really bad? Well, Jesus is here today and he has one question for you. His one question is, do you love me? That is what he's asking. And he will ask it of you as many times as it takes for you to realize that he can forgive and restore anything from the past. Do you love me? 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 How many times do you need to hear Jesus ask so that you can be sure that he means you? And with Peter, it's great because this is the same Peter who came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times do we have to forgive somebody? Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times, seven times. And what they didn't put in the text right after that that I'm sure Jesus said was, and if you're counting at 490, then you haven't figured out what love really is. So Jesus the betrayed becomes Jesus the restorer. And what's the difference? The difference is the death and resurrection. It's that Jesus... Actually, when he went to the cross, he took even the denials of Peter with him. On the cross, God punished Jesus. He turned his back on him. God punished Jesus for our denials, for Peter's denial. In a sense, God denied Jesus so that he might say to us, this is my beloved son. You are my beloved son. You are the daughter that I love. In you, I'm well pleased. Jesus takes our punishment so that we can have this relationship, so that we can be restored. And so we have to revisit this look from verse 61, right? This look where Peter turns and looks at the Lord, assumes what, he, what Jesus must mean with the look. But what does he really mean? We find out now. Jesus' look actually said, Peter, I know what you did but that's why I'm here. I love you and I am going to go through this, yes, even for you. That's what Jesus' look said to Peter and so that's what he says to us and again he comes and asks us, do you love me? Steve Camp has a song called For Every Time and here are the lyrics. It's written about this, this, this particular passage. Three times Peter swore I don't know him when he said he'd follow to the grave. A thousand bitter tears couldn't wash away the sins. In fear he wondered, what would Jesus say? Three times Jesus asked, do you love me? Three times his heart cried, Lord, you know I do. Once for every time that he denied him, Jesus restored him to the hope that he knew. For every time we broke his heart, 
for every time we've fallen, for every time we thought we'd gone beyond his grace, once for all, he stood in our place. When you can't come back, Jesus comes to you. Now, our final point is, again, what do you do when others can't come back? When others can't come back. If you've been restored, if you've had this conversation, I think some of you have had it just now. Um, If you've been restored, feed Jesus' sheep. That's the call. Love his people. Feed his, care for his family. And here we see the importance and the power of community. You need people to experience this restoration. You need, and, and the culture, we need to create a culture that prevents the tragedy of people thinking that there is no hope. Right? I've been a part of churches and I've propagated this culture where, yeah, God forgives people, but you better make sure you don't do this or there is no hope. You know, or God forgives except for, or you better make sure you're not struggling with. How do you treat others when they fail? Do you welcome them back in? Are you willing to forgive or do you make them pay? Do they need to earn their way back in? This was a huge problem in the early church. There was a whole lot of controversy over this because there were people who were being tortured and killed for identifying with Jesus. And then there were others who gave in. Picture this. What would happen your parents or your children or your brother, sister, your best friend is killed because they identified with Jesus. And then you find out that, well, somebody else in the church denied Jesus to save their own skin. Oh, but then they asked for forgiveness later, and now they're back in the church. This was a real problem in the early church. This has been a real problem. Every time persecution has reached the point where people begin to suffer physically for their faith. How would you feel? We have a responsibility to build a culture here, here at Harbor Downtown, that is as open and as, as, as inclusive, as, that is as forgiving as Jesus with Peter. Are there things that you can't forgive in others? Are there things that you are not willing to let somebody back into the family over? Jesus is calling us to restore people in the way that he has restored us. I think Jesus also was setting the tone for how leadership was going to look in his kingdom. In the midst of Peter's temptation, Jesus was even praying for him. 
Peter helped, or Jesus helped Peter to see what was in his own heart. The, and this is a problem with, with, a, with a lot of leaders who are strong, right? Strong leaders tend to be intolerant of other people who aren't self-assured or who can't get their act together, right? And their weakness is with people who struggle. They don't have time for people who can't just, you know, pick themselves up and get moving, right? And so in a sense, Peter gets to see his weakness and Jesus then responds and says, that's the man I want leading my church. That's the one, that's the kind of leader that we need. Peter wanted to do these amazingly great things for Jesus, but he needed to learn that first to do anything great, he needed to receive from Jesus. It's only after failing that Peter could learn to strengthen his brothers. Right, prior to this, Peter could identify who the strong were, but he couldn't actually give strength to other people. Now, after going through this, he is humble, he's no longer self-reliant, and he has a heart of compassion for anybody who does anything and wants to come back. And we even see this. You know, the next chapter after Luke is Acts. And you get to see Peter and what happens to him as he's been restored by Jesus. He stands before not just the servant girl of the religious leaders, but he stands before the religious leaders themselves and they say, you stop, stop preaching about Jesus. And Peter looks him in the eye and says, look, I've got to obey God rather than men. He's not cowering anymore. He's not afraid anymore. He's saying, God loves me. God is for me. Who can be against me? What can you do to me? What can man do to me? What could people possibly do when God is on my side? In Acts, 14, it's, or Acts 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How great is that? If you need this kind of strength, you just need to be with Jesus. You need this kind of courage that stands up against no matter what you're afraid of, no matter what is coming. If you are with Jesus, if you decide to be with Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, you can face it. You can face it and not crumble. And so Jesus restores Peter so he'd experience this restoration and then restore others. Jesus is doing the exact same thing right now as we speak. He's restoring some of you so that you might help share that restoration process with others. The church is not for people to have their act together. This is where you come when you have failed. And when you come, if you read Luke 15, you get a robe, you get a ring, you get sandals, and a party. God and the angels of heaven rejoice because the prodigal has come home. That is joyful. And that's the culture that we need to create and maintain and do everything we can to fight for here. To fight for here. So then the last piece of this call is that Jesus wants all of us to stand strong, humble, and not obnoxious. He wants each one of you, he wants me to, again, 
Remember the balance, to look for God's approval first and foremost above anything else, and then to share your faith in a way that other people can understand it and be blessed by it. That's the call. That's the call. And it makes, it changes everything. Like everything changes. Back to Thomas Cramner, right? The failed martyr, right? Wasn't a martyr because he denied his faith at the stake. Well, after denying his faith, lived with that anguish and then repented of the anguish, right? Felt sorry, asked forgiveness, repented. Well, the problem was that his repentance brought him back to the stake, okay? When the people found out that he had repented of his denial, you're following that, right? He denies Jesus, he's saved from death, but then he repents of his denial. He asks for forgiveness and says, no, 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 I'm identifying with Jesus again. Well, the authorities find out and they, okay, back to the stake with you. And so they bring him back to the stake in full public, because these were public, uh, public events back then. They gave him a chance, and they said, Thomas Cramner, if you would deny your faith, deny these things that you have said, your body will go free. You will not be burned at the stake. And the year was 1556. Thomas Cramner, this time, publicly confessed his shame at what he did before, looked at the flames and voluntarily stuck his hand into the flames and let it be burned. What Jesus does in us, there is a joy and a peace that makes some people willing to voluntarily go through hell just to stand up for him. What kind of joy is this that counts it a blessing to suffer? This is the joy of a soul that's forgiven and free. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you for coming after us. Thank you for standing here even today and inviting us to come back. <coughs> Jesus, I pray that you would draw people who don't know you and haven't made that commitment yet and help them see your loving arms and to come running to you. I pray too that though, for those of us who, are, who claim to follow you and have done things that show otherwise, that you would help us experience the power and love of that restoration. Help those who are suffering and hurting to hear you ask, do you love me? And to be able to say, yes, Lord, you know I do. Draw all of us, Father, back. Draw us closer to yourself and give us opportunity to share this restoration with others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.